0: Hello again, and welcome to the audio version of the 100% Wild Podcast. I'm Mark Kenyon, and today we've got a pretty cool episode. This one was recorded earlier this summer in studio with myself, Mark Drury and Matt Drury and in addition to us recording this for the podcast we also had this streaming on Facebook live so what we were able to do is answer some live audience questions as we went along so to kick things off we tackle a listener submitted question about improving a small property for deer hunting and then from there we take those live questions so without further ado let's get right into it I hope you enjoy it and thank you for listening Hello, and welcome to another episode of the 100% Wild Podcast. I'm Mark Kenyon with Wired to Hunt, and with me today in Missouri, Matt Drury and Mark Drury. And I'm excited because we are doing something a little bit different today, right, Matt?
1: Yeah, so the cool part about our podcast, we always have a viewer-submitted question that we answer through the podcast. Well, this time we're going live on Facebook, and we're not only going to answer the question that was submitted from the viewer Uh, uh, The original question, but we want to answer everybody's questions at home or as many as we possibly can uh, through the Facebook live. So we're going to go get to it right away. You're going to kind of paraphrase the question. We'll try to answer it and then we'll start firing away. Leah's going to start uh, giving us some of the questions that the viewers at home have. So yeah. it should
0: be pretty fun. It's going to be good. And so this question we got is from Evan. And Evan has got a small property in Ohio that he's hunting, and he's trying to find some ways to improve it for deer habitat. It's, it's 20 acres or less somewhere around there, mostly timber and not a lot of ag, not a lot of food. So he's wondering, Mark, what can he do to improve a property like that to hold more deer? He doesn't want us just passing through. He wants to try to hold some deer, make it attractive during hunting season. I think there's a lot of people that can relate to this. What kind of it, thoughts do you have about? And to it go? is
2: twenty acres. Is that correct?
0: I think you said just, around, just about twenty acres. So it's a
2: it's a rather small parcel, which is is good enough to go kill a deer on but i would say the number one thing he could do would be to limit intrusion in other words if you're only if you only have 20 to work with it'd be real easy to make that 20 unappealing to a deer because you're on there too much so the first thing i'm going to do is add food where i've got good access on 20 acres he probably only has one access point Mm -hmm. would be my guess so if my access is from the south i'm going to go in there and build a food plot on the south portion of the property and hunt that on a north wind predominantly just guessing if it's out of the south it might be out of the other wind directions but you get the, the picture sure i'm going to make it as thick a 20 as i possibly can i'm going to add warm season grasses if that's an opportunity or i'm going to go in there and and do a, a select uh, cut with those trees and make that the thickest 20 in the block i want the most food the most water and the most cover on that 20 acres
1: so the most food you got 20 acres to hunt well how much of that should be food
2: if i got 20 i'm gonna want at least two to five acres if i can get it in there i want more food rather than less okay yeah in ohio i think you can bait so there you can you can throw your plot instead of grow your plot so that that makes that makes an advantage for him he can just add feeders as opposed to you know you know creating food plots but i'd still want food to have that you know year-round nutrition and year-round attraction right
0: now when you're doing food plots in that kind of scenario do you think it's better to have just one big one like you've got a two-acre field that's going to be your big food plot in your 20 or would you recommend trying to have a bunch of smaller little attractive maybe hunting it
2: depends what the land allows you know if it allows for big then i'm going to put big i like destination food sources a whole lot i like that to hold deer i like smaller hidey hole food plots to kill deer
0: Hmm. Now what about the cover aspect real quick? Um, You mentioned you'd like to have as much of that in really thick cover. So I imagine you're thinking – something like a sanctuary like keeping an area off limits would that be accurate the whole thing i mean it, the way acres. i look at
2: the, the 20 if it's 80 100 yeah. 200 i think every farm if you're deer hunting it correctly should be a sanctuary that's my view on sanctuary it's like the less intrusion you have on your farms the more deer you're going to have because deer don't let you know when you spook them more often than not therefore a guy can walk all day and never see a deer and go i didn't i didn't affect my deer right. you <laughs> affected it incredibly you know so i just stay the heck out
0: now what about from the food plot side any specific type of clover if you're dealing with a
2: small property and you don't have a lot of opportunity to go with big you know grain fields and whatnot clover is the go-to okay. i use the biologic non-typical it's literally ridiculous
1: and that's just because it's more of a year-round type of easier thing to maintain yeah. you can
2: put it in a quarter acre and still have a food source you know it's easy to grow easy to maintain you can spray it a couple times a year keep it very weed free that's the main thing with clover you got to maintain it you got to right. keep your ph right you got feed it with the the right you know do a a soil test about every third year make sure your limes right make sure all your nutrients are right feed it and spray it and it'll always do well for you
1: on the spraying so we're sitting here it's you know the beginning of july more or less how late into the game can you spray a clover plot
2: i spray in may and then again in september october spring and fall
0: okay yeah you mowing them too
2: we mow them really high but not we don't we don't you never want to stress that clover plant because they'll get up and get so high uh, come summer and then they kind of go dormant. So I, I always mow at 10 inches or higher. Mm-hmm. i mow really high on my clover. Cause I don't want to stress them because if you get into a drought like we are now, all of a sudden you, you've really stressed the plant. Yeah.
1: Now we, we showed oh, a few weeks ago, Terry was, was spraying his food plots and we got a lot of questions. What, what is it? What are you spraying with? Mm-hmm. What do you use when you're spraying?
2: Uh, cleft, for and i don't know the the full name of it for the grass and then there is a product from basf which is what they've used to kill algae and ponds for years mm-hmm. believe it or not actually has a residual to it that keeps your broadleafs down in your clover fields but we've been spraying that for two years austin delano got us hooked on it my clover is cleaner right now than it's ever been so that plus clef, plus a a micronutrient for the actual clover. So you're constantly feeding the plant. And I mean, my clover looks really nice. Is that
1: all mixed together? Yeah, it's all mixed together. Mixed
2: together with water and go in there and spray it. Interesting. Interesting.
1: All right. I'd like to see if anybody there in Facebook land has any questions for us. Yeah, we got anything good so far. Well, we had some questions on clover. Okay. We were just proactive about that one. Um, What about... um, here that seem just purely nocturnal any way to get them moving during
2: an an hour that you can hunt well purely nocturnal during what part of the season i mean generally when i when i look at pictures and i'm seeing nothing but nighttime use it's generally because my camera's not where they're coming through during the day it might be out in a destination food source or you might not just be in, inside that deer's home range so if you're getting a buck at say 1 a.m 3 a.m in the morning it might just be because he's bedding over there your neighbor a half mile away and he's getting daylights of him so you really have to analyze each individual the other thing that'll make them nocturnal is a lot of hunting pressure which you hear me talk about a lot if you want to do yourself a favor stay out and hunt your farm as smart as you possibly can so you, you gotta define why he's nocturnal and look at the reason and then try and adjust after that.
1: Do you have any suggestions for hunting somewhere that you don't either have access to put in a feed plot or you don't have a food plot or you don't have the space?
2: Well, you know the 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 whole world's a food plot to a deer, right? You know, it just depends whether your property has anything that's appealing to them at different times of the year because they're browsers, they're like goats. If you watch them go through the woods, you can be sitting there over this beautiful green biologic field and they'll walk down the, the field edge nibbling on every yeah. bush and every plant but certain things become palatable at different times of the year based on frost and based on different mm-hmm. things, whether it's a heavy mass crop or whatnot. you know, Acorns get very palatable so you just have to be a student to your spot and pay attention to what those deer are browsing on but you're probably hunting on some sort of food source and uh, you may just it's really comes to recognizing that food source is the most important thing
1: anything else for us
0: while she's looking i'll kind of jump in a little bit on that and just just mention the fact that there is so much you can provide from a natural forage standpoint with a little bit of chainsaw work absolutely you can go in there and you can do some like you mentioned earlier some selective cutting um you can do this is something that I have heard about from the guys down at Mississippi State University, some biologists down there who have been examining the impacts of cutting trees down and then seeing the regrowth from those stumps, and they're finding that the mineral production that you're getting, the nutrients that are coming out of the new sprouts coming out of the stumps of these cut trees— is astronomically higher than anything else available on the landscape. Protein levels and all these other nutrients, better than your clover plot, better than right your on. soybean fields. So they're talking about the fact that you can go in there and start cutting, even in June or July, and have tremendous food sources popping up, your own little mini food plot wherever you want them when you cut these trees down. When they're Because what they basically do is these – I'm not a biologist, so I'm paraphrasing, and you can go to their resources to learn more. But basically, trees try to balance – where the the nutrients are so they've got a huge root system and when you cut the top of that tree off it tries to balance the nutrient level from bottom to top so it's going to send up all this energy and mineral it's and sucking also, it all out from yeah
2: you know think of how big the root system is it's putting it all in one place as opposed exactly. to the whole tree
0: so the concentration in those new leaves is is way off the charts compared to anything else that's on the landscape otherwise so that's, that's cool. an interesting way to go about trying to add a new food source or improve a food source on your small property without planting food plots the number Um, one
2: thing you have to have for deer is cover before you get to water and food and everything else you have to have cover they are like rabbits if they don't have cover to feel secure they're not going to be spending much time on your property so that that's why i mentioned the select timber cutting Mm -hmm. because deer don't feed up there at 60 feet and 50 feet they feed at about five feet and below so the more stuff the more browse you have that is five feet and below the more deer you're going to hold a they feel more secure b they have more food
0: yeah one other thought is just to look at your neighbors what's where's the gap what's missing so if everyone around you has got clover plots or bean fields or something find where the missing link is and, and provide that on your 20 so that maybe you know, when the beans come off, when the corn comes off, you happen to be the only one who's got a great food source maybe, or maybe you're the only person who's got water, or to your point, maybe you're the, you're the only one who has cover. Find what's missing. Fill that gap on your 20.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, any other good questions out
0: there? What about
1: trecoys? Um, do you like them? Do
2: you have recommendations on how to use them best? Sure, absolutely love them, and I put them in just about every single plot. If you watch our shows very closely, you'll see – the, a scrape tree at about 20 yards yeah. upwind of our position in almost every plot. And the theory is simple. If you've got a big open plot that you're out there, you know, working the tractor and whatnot to put the, the crop in, you don't have a lot of structure for the deer to go to. They're like fish, if you will, in the water. They'll go to a bush or some sort of structure. So if you go out there and, and then dig a hole and put a tree in, or the best method that I've seen is to take a, a T-post drive it down in and then wire tie or uh, you know use a zip zip tie to take a decent sized tree with good scraping limbs hanging out of it and then position those limbs so that if the deer's there working them you get a quartering away shot
1: my best pictures and video from my Reconyx cameras have come off of I have two trechois in both my food plots on my lease and all my best action shots come from both those spots whether it's d- daylight or you know it, you know, in the middle of the night they're hitting those spots Absolutely. it's amazing it, they, they are magic one of the, one of the best ways to
2: kill a deer you can find that
1: you guys have done a lot is cut branches in the fields you know if you are near uh, timber you're cutting all those other possible Spots where they could be scraping mm-hmm. or, or whatever. Yeah, eliminate all the others yeah. and get them coming to yours. Yeah. And sometimes
2: I put two or three trees up to, to you know, because if, if a buck walks out and he sees all these trees, or then he sees another deer around him, he's he's going to come straight to it. Yeah. You know?
1: yeah.
0: Do you um do you replace those every year so it's a fresh tree I with new fresh leaves tree. and stuff? Yep. Okay. Replace them every year. Any particular species of tree do you find work best?
2: Uh, Oaks seem to have those limbs that reach longer. You know, they seem to give me the best scraping limbs. So inevitably we're going to go for a, a a young oak.
0: Okay. And when do you want to have it out there by
2: um early october september october so generally not... we'll plant the food plot and then if we have time that day we'll put it up right then
0: okay so it's right after the food plot. i was gonna say you're not worried about you know spooking so... the deer in any way all of a sudden having a new tree pop out in the middle
2: um uh, they don't know they don't seem okay. to it doesn't seem to affect them okay at all
1: hmm. anything Order else scatlia. i
2: think it's it, it would be hoove that person or anybody to have their cameras in situations where like most of my summer pictures if you look at them closely they're almost always at night because i put my my cameras out in the food sources or next to the food sources i almost never go to the cover where they're bedded so therefore i'm catching pictures during the night just to take an inventory if you will and then it's you're a lot less likely to spook that deer if you're out in the food source itself. If you start barging in on the cover, you're going to start affecting the deer. The one exception I've seen to that, if I do have a place that's difficult to get to, I'm going to put the camera out and check it either from a truck or a tractor or whatever it is, generally not a four-wheeler. But I've noticed that when you have the thick cover of summer, if you're just driving, they're much less likely to uh, run from that than they are someone on
1: foot. Now, why the why not the four wheeler? Just the noise. I just the, don't like the noise. It
2: probably doesn't affect them either. It's just my personal yeah. because of the noise. It probably doesn't affect me either. They're much less likely to run from a motorized vehicle than they are a human walking. Yeah. They're, the security cover is so tight because of all the cover. You know, their first line of defense is to stay put. And their second line of defense, when threatened, is to flee. Yeah. But their first line is to stay put. So you stay can get, hidden. Stay hidden. Yeah.
0: To, I'll add to that question asking you know, will it spook deer in the fall? I don't necessarily think that your inner, your your intrusion in the summer is going to spook deer in the fall, but it certainly will limit the amount of repeat you know performances for bucks coming back to those trail cameras their, in the summer. The patterns. Yeah. If you're trying yeah. to if you're trying to get inventory in the summer, but you're going in there every three or four days, you're going to see fewer and fewer and fewer deer come to that location. Limiting your ability to get that inventory. Yeah, yeah. big so, time. Stay out. It's the best thing out.
2: you can do. Stay out till the time's right. Yeah. you got to pick
0: your, pick your shots. Yeah. How do you best conquer changing wind
1: directions?
2: Well, and I wonder if he means swirling winds or a change in the wind course that day. There, there's two different answers to that question. If it is a low wind speed, under five. I call that a, you know, a mess you up wind because it's never out of the direction they call for. If they say it's out of the north at five, you could forget it. It's gonna be out of the south, east, west as well. So those are the times that I generally go very low in topography or I will go where I have a, a blind where I can close the windows and keep my scent enclosed inside that. You see it's a lot out of box blinds, the muddy bull for instance. If you close that thing down on a light wind day, they're not going to smell you inside of that blind. However, if it is a, a, a day where you're calling for north winds till 730 and then you get a switch to the east-southeast or something like that where it's a big wind switch, I'm just going to, you know, get down and go to another spot or I will wait till it switches and then go to that preferred spot. It's, I don't like to, to move around a whole heck of a lot.
1: How late would you wait to make that move? No, you know, so if it's a big switch like that and you're like, I got it, this wind is not right and you're set up for an immediate evening hunt. Immediate.
2: Like if it switches and you didn't know it from the predictor, if it switches, I get out of there immediately. The last, the worst thing you can do is be set up with all the deer upwind or the bulk of the deer upwind and you feel real confident about it. All of a sudden the wind switches and it's blowing the wrong way. Get out of there because you're doing a deer drive. I'm immediate. Like I react very quickly to it and I bail. And I either go find another spot or I go scout or do something else. But I won't sit there and, and let my wind blow over deer. I just won't do it. I can't do it
0: and that's regardless of time so even if regardless it's the last 20 of time, minutes of daylight regardless you're out
2: i'm out, I'm Interesting. out. as yeah. soon as it switches i'm out
1: i always feel like i can't move yeah. like if it's the last 20 minutes or 30 like, minutes oh, it's like i'm yeah. scared to move you yeah. know what i mean well it, you're just
2: affecting your deer movement for a future hunt you yeah. know you're just you're educating them instead of them educating you that's yeah. what just happened yeah. they're going to educate you because they're not going to smell you but if you start letting them smell you you're educating that herd yeah I think the rut happens at the exact same time every year. It's one of the reasons we did the show 13. I think the parts of the rut that get exposed have a lot to do with weather systems and moon. I think weather trumps moon. It's always the most important factor when it comes to seeing daylight activity by bucks. However, the moon can influence daylight activity a great deal. To simplify it, if you look at any month, whether it's the rut or October or December, if you look at any month on the calendar, if you look at the dark of the moon and you look at the week that precedes it or follows it, to me, that's the least amount of daylight activity I see Uh, to my own two eyes and on my cameras. However, if you look at the full moon and look at the week that precedes or follows it, that's the most daylight activity I see. I like the week leading up to the full moon for afternoon movement and the week following the full moon for morning movement. And I know that's a a long answer, but if you listen to that two or three times, you kind of get our general premise when it comes to the moon. Terry and I feel strongly about the moon's effect on deer movement. Yes, it does affect it, it can take Uh, a normal rut and make it really, really good with the moon phase, or you can take a, a, a good rut and turn it bad. And by good rut, I mean, you know, really good temperatures where they should be moving. And all of a sudden, why are there no deer out? If it's dark of the moon, I just don't see the activity that I do on a full moon. And that flies in the face of what a lot of guys will tell you, but that is my gut Uh, feeling about the moon i see and kill so many more deer in and around the full moon it's not even funny
1: and weather trumps moon weather trumps moon it's
2: generally going to trump moon. but there are times like on a dark of a moon it's it's going to trump it just a little bit i don't like the dark of the moon at all
0: it's interesting i was just have been working on an article all about the rut all about this topic and uh in conversations with a biologist out of new york Um, who in some studies he was doing during grad school, he looked at car deer collisions in Kansas. And there's like 15,000 over the course of 10 years or something like that. And again, I'm paraphrasing here. Um, But what he found is he took a look at when that full moon hits during the general rut time period, late October through late November, and then looked at how that might impact car deer collision rates. And what he found is that when the full moon hits in that general typical rut time frame of like November 5th through the 15th, there was no noticeable difference. It was what you would expect. When that full moon hit early, so late October, higher than average cardio collisions during that early time period. <coughs> when the full moon hit later in November, you had a higher number of cardio collisions during the later part of November. So there was some kind of correlation, correlation activity, uh, something there with that full moon, which there I think is lends no some credence to what you're saying.
2: So. And and it doesn't just say, okay, the rut happens earlier or later. It's whatever phase they're in gets exposed more, Mm -hmm. right? You know, because in my opinion, daylight activity gets exposed in and around the full moon. So if the full moon, like this year, I think it's November the 5th or 6th? Fourth. Fourth? Okay, November the 4th. You're going to see a really great late October and then into the first 10 days of November. I think people are going to go, wow, it's a great rut, provided it's cold. However, during the dark of the moon, you're not going to see nearly as many deer. Last year, we had that happen. You know, the two worst phases in the phase... phase, October lull. October lull and the party's over were two of our best phases because both times it hit on the full moon the full moon yeah. hit in those two phases and terry and i predicted it before the season happened i predict we're going to see a very nice rut this year because the part of the rut that there's so much activity anyway is going to be expo- exposed during daylight which is pre-lock high anticipation and then the buck parade that full moon sits right in the middle of all that so therefore you're going to see a lot of daylight activity in and around those three phases
1: so what uh you question we get all the time what week should i take off what week would you recommend taking off
2: this year without question i would take off the 5th through the 10th of november that would be my my take on it
0: now we've talked a lot about all these different conditions in the past how they affect uh influence and deer movement whatnot you mentioned earlier this spring or winter that you've been studying humidity as well and how that may or may not impact deer movement have you come to any conclusions out of that or my conclusion
2: that? was it didn't affect it nearly as much as precip temperature wind speed and barometric pressure not even close okay. i couldn't see a, a real correlation between it a few days i was like ah oh, that's got to be the humidity doing this but then then i would blow that theory out later so i didn't see a tremendous correlation between it and deer movement okay nothing close to barometric pressure yeah. that's the number one
0: so yeah your rankings would be pressure over temperature or uh, temperature first
2: temperature first it's got to be at norm or below yep. and, and then pressure pressure second and wind speed wind speed and then moon uh no then probably precip okay. and moon kind of influences all of that makes it a little better makes it a little worse if you will like an intensifier it's, it's, it, yeah just a little bit of a tendency with the moon
0: yep. okay.
1: Well, yeah okay leah anything else coming through
2: Well, we're right on the full moon, are we not? Hmm. Right now. You're right. That's why I say it's every month, man. You watch that full moon. Every month, it's going to intensify daylight activity. Watch in about 14 days when it goes dark. It just turned full two days ago, right?
1: Yeah. So watch
2: in 14 days and see if that doesn't uh, subdue that a little bit. And then 14 days after that, watch if they're not showing up again. I, I just love deer movement in and around
1: the full moon. Well, does kind of the velvet early season patterns feed patterns have anything to do with that as well
2: of course they're yeah. always more visible when they're in velvet yeah. than when they're hard but it still affects their movement yeah
0: i will say just to just to kind of temper his hopes a little bit the patterns that you're seeing right now when you get to october there are going to be lots of different patterns different home ranges for a lot of these bucks so don't get then too will be different
1: in november yes exactly <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: so what's happening in july is definitely different in september different in october so you need to understand you guys talk about all the time in the phases understanding how the phases of the year transition and adjusting your strategies accordingly
2: so often is the case though like if you watch deer from a distance and you go man they're doing the same thing every day and then you go move in and you don't see a deer then you have to go okay what changed well you you were there and i said it earlier they generally don't let you know when you made a mistake and they're they're masters at knowing you're there and then not moving that day there it's one thing to observe a deer at a distance it's another thing to move in and actually go kill that deer you got to have your you got to have your game face on you better have your access right the wind better be right you better not spook them getting close because chances are they're not bedded very far i think a lot of hunters misinterpret or um they don't give the deer enough credit and they think they are bedded much further than they actually are if you talk to people and talk about how they access their stands or if you watch neighbors and whatnot it blows my mind some days how they choose to access their spots it's like do you not think you're going right through the deer right now and and you are so just don't be that guy don't be the guy that's doing a deer drive on the way to their stand
0: for sure
1: anything else we're running pretty uh, pretty good on time here, so I think we'll wrap it up. Absolutely. I appreciate you guys joining us. Make sure and check out the Drury Outdoors YouTube channel and get all of our podcasts. Or you can also see them over on the Wired to Hunt, hear them on the Wired to Hunt website. Yeah,
0: yeah, we've got the audio version of the 100% Wild podcast. You can subscribe to those on the Apple Podcast app or the Stitcher app or Google Play. Uh, and then you can submit questions. If you haven't already been aware of this, if you want to send in your own listener submitted question that you get to hear on the podcast and everything, you can go to wired huntcom slash 100 wild and see how to do that. So that's a pretty cool opportunity.
1: Yeah, if you go over to the Drury Outdoors YouTube channel, there's all kinds of original hunts. You know, the DVDs are no longer here, but we're putting a lot of original hunts over on the DOD TV channel. There, at Drury Outdoors on YouTube. So check it out, and if you're not following wired to hunt on social media, make sure you do because he's got a ton of great info. So until next time, we'll see you later.
0: Thanks for listening.